0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Any Given You podcast. As always, I'm your host, Michael Megan. Before we get into today's content, I would like to remind everybody that if you're enjoying the show, subscribe to the podcast and please give us a rating and review. Tell some of your friends about the podcast as well. We are available on all major platforms and you can follow us on Instagram and our Facebook page and group. Here we are with the Next installment of the win totals as we are only about a month away from kickoff. We are continuing with the Pac-12 today. The SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, and the ACC are all in the books, so go check out those episodes if you haven't already. We are going to give you our best bet for winners and losers in the conference and rank them from first to worst, so let's dive in. We start in Eugene, Oregon with the Oregon Ducks. Ten wins is what we're thinking now, the, the big question is, is Oregon capable of winning at Ohio State in week two? Perhaps, yes, but it's unlikely that the Ducks are leaving Columbus with a W. And that leaves them with little margin for error for the remainder of their schedule. They should be favored in their 11 other contests, and they don't have to take on Southern Cal this year. Aside from Ohio State, games at Washington on November the 6th and at Utah on November the 20th may be Oregon's toughest challenges. I also have my eye on a trip to UCLA on October the 23rd as another potential stumbling block. Now, I think Oregon will be the bigger benefactor of the matchup with Ohio State. As I've stated about other teams that don't taste elite competition often, getting a whiff of that early in the year could be a tremendous learning opportunity and a reality check for the Ducks. Now, after the Buckeyes, Oregon enjoys a very friendly month worth of uh, games. Three of their next four are all at home uh, against teams to which they are vastly superior in terms of talent and depth. But from October the 23rd, that UCLA trip, until the end of the year, the Ducks are on the road every other week. So I think that that back and forth could create a little bit of road fatigue down the stretch, but they're not facing any killers to to close the season. This roster has some stars for sure. Travis Dye and C.J. Verdell combined to be one of the best tandem running back combos in the nation, or should be. Former Boston College quarterback Anthony Brown should be the signal caller this year. His action was limited, but he did manage north of 150 total QBR last season. On defense, Kayvon Thibodeau is ready for a resurgent year as potentially the nation's finest pass rusher and an impact defensive lineman. If Oregon's talented and young linebacker core in secondary can shore up some awful open field tackling from 2020, this Ducks defense could easily be a top 25 unit. 10 and two is what we're thinking. If the defense continues to disappoint, as does quarterback play, we could see this uh, squad be an 8-4 and four squad, potentially. But uh, 11 wins is the ceiling. We're going to split the difference. We'll go with 10-2. and two. Next, we're taking a trip to Seattle to talk the Washington Huskies. 10 wins is what we're thinking. Much like Southern Cal out of the Pac-12 South, Washington is a league heavyweight with a favorable conference schedule. The Huskies don't have southern cal or utah from the south instead they are drawing ucla and arizona state and they both have them at home they also get oregon at home in fact their toughest road trip in conference is at stanford on october the 30th this sets up uh nicely for them you know second year head coach jimmy lake could make a run at this division crown the defense will be solid as usual even with the loss of zion to fatui Now, if this squad gets quality quarterback play from either Dylan Morris or the five-star very highly touted freshman Sam Heward, it can absolutely be a conference champion. In fact, Washington was technically the champ of the Pac-12 North last year. Now, Oregon played for the championship as de facto team coming out because Washington was dealing with COVID-19 protocols and had to forfeit the match. So... This team has the ingredients to make a run at the Pac-12 title. The Football Power Index has these guys rated as the 25th overall team in the country and their strength of schedule is ranked 76th and it is the easiest in the Pac-12 because all of their key matchups are at home. This includes by the way a trip to Ann Arbor to take on the Wolverines out of conference, their Big 12 opponent. So even with Wolverine even with the Wolverines on the schedule, right? They still have the 76th uh, strength of schedule. Let's talk about that matchup really quick with Michigan. So it takes place on September 11th in primetime, 8 p.m. Uh, it's certainly their toughest test on paper. The make or break for this matchup is whether or not Washington can do what they do best and run the ball. Michigan's front seven is noticeably smaller than what we've expected out of Michigan in you know the past this could be a win for washington even though michigan is favored as of right now i'm locking in 10 wins off of that absolutely horrendous strength of schedule 76th in the country they should be able to run through the schedule pretty easily the fact that they get all their toughest conference opponents at home is huge so 10 wins lock it in next we go to southern cal we're talking the trojans trigger alert get ready for it nine wins the trojans have a manageable schedule they have talent on the roster with a few players that can make explosive plays. Reaching the college football playoff, huge long shot. Okay, The Trojans have firepower, right, and they could make a lot of noise in the Pac-12, potentially nationally, but there's an old saying that there are few things in this world more tragic than wasted talent. And I believe 9-3, which is the mark we are predicting, would be just that for Southern Cal. USC has a roster that is north of 50% blue-chip players, okay? Again, the blue-chip ratio is a 90 or 90% or 90 or better rated player, right? So a high four-star all the way to five-star. Over half their roster falls into that category. It puts them in really rare air. Only 16 teams in all of FBS have a roster like that. But we've seen this team play patty cake with opponents that should be blown off the field. So unless Clay Helton turned USC into Cobra Kai over the summer, I think we're going to see another Trojan squad lacking physicality and the killer instinct to finish opponents. Utah on October the 9th is going to be a legitimate challenge to Trojan dominance. The following week at Notre Dame is most likely a loss, right? And not just a loss, but a physically punishing loss. Then USC has to take a trip to Arizona State on November the 6th, before hosting a UCLA team that could be good, depending on the volatility factor there. Um, So, I'm thinking that Utah at Notre Dame at Arizona State stretch could make or break USC season. Notre Dame is USC's only acid test against a proven playoff caliber team. We'll learn a lot from Southern Cal in that contest. Now, quarterback Keaton Slovis has the potential to be one of the nation's finest. Wide receiver Drake London is an absolute playmaker. And on defense, Southern Cal features some nasty pass rushers in Drake Jackson and true freshman Corey Foreman. But my critique of this team is not changing until I see different, and that critique is the lack of physicality on the O-line, D-line, and in the linebacker core. Three yards per carry. That's all they managed in the run game last year on offense. It made these guys very one-dimensional, and their inability also to stop the running game on defense kept them from putting away opponents last year. All that said, I'm still taking them to win the Pac-12 South, but I'm thinking it will be a tight race with Utah, Arizona State, and UCLA all nipping at their heels. Next, we're going to Salt Lake City to talk Utah. We've got nine wins for the Utes. Kyle Whittingham is one of my favorite coaches in the game. He always has a solid unit prepared. 2021 sees the Utes snag a talented grad transfer in Charlie Brewer, who's going to play the quarterback position. Um, they have a big stable of powerful running backs. Okay, uh, Look for Micah Bernard, actually, to emerge as an impact player out of the backfield. He averaged 5.1 yards per touch last season. They have a very good tight end in Brent Keithy, who is a difference maker at his position. It should be a good insurance policy for Charlie Brewer. On defense, we saw a Utah secondary that disappointed in 2020, but by season's end was beginning to gel, and they're all back. Last year, Utah very nearly defeated Washington on the road before winning three straight to close the season. If Utah can improve their very bad 38% on third down conversions, they have the pieces to score 30-plus points every week. In fact, they pretty much did that with that really bad conversion rate last year. So if they're able to improve that, I think this offense could be very, very effective. With what should be an improved defense, a big physical line on both sides of the ball, and the ability to hog the ball, which they led the Pac-12 in time of possession with 33 minutes, Utah could do what Texas A&M did last year, which is just bludgeoning teams into submission with a power run game and playing keep-away. At BYU on September 11th could be a sneaky tough test. It's a rivalry game. I'm expecting the Utes' first potential fall to come at USC, but this will be a nasty match for the Trojans up front. On November the 5th at Stanford will be a hard fight because of how physical both these teams could be. And then on November the 20th versus Oregon is likely a loss. I don't think Utah is going to be able to push them around the way that they're going to push some of their other opponents around, provided the Ducks are healthy by then. And on October 16th with Arizona State is a toss-up with the potential that the Sun Devils have to make explosive plays. But again, that's just the potential there. I actually like Utah in that matchup. I'm also expecting Utah to slip up and lose one that they shouldn't in classic Pac-12 fashion possibly against UCLA or even with a trip to Corvallis to take on Oregon State. Next, we go to Tempe. We're talking the Sun Devils. Now, the Sun Devils program is one that's gotten a lot of off-season love. There's also under some off-season scrutiny right now. There have been apparently some COVID-19-related recruiting violations. I don't know exactly what the particulars are, but it has to do with some on-campus visitations that shouldn't have happened. E- either way, I don't think it may- makes any you know, it's no never mind to me personally, but you know, who knows? Who knows how this could affect and distract and detract from preseason operations there. But Herm Edwards and his staff enter their fourth season in Tempe. Now, like Utah, the Sun Devils finished 2020 hitting their stride in the year. And if you look at the team from a pure talent perspective, Arizona State has one of the better rosters in the conference. Herm Edwards has moved up in recruiting rankings every year since taking the head coaching job, and that talent, I'm sure, has to express itself sometime. So, also, Arizona State has a super friendly schedule with the 72nd overall strength of schedule and seven home games, including USC on November the 6th. They do have tough road games at Utah and at Washington. They go to Provo to play BYU on September 18th. BYU should really just join the Pac 12 already. They play so many of those teams. That contest could be interesting, as BYU is actually favored as of right now. Now, quarterback Jaden Daniels is a difference maker for this team. The Sun Devils, I think, will go about as far as he leads and about as far as they're able to support him. He's entering his third year as a starter and has shown great ability to take care of the football. But, like I said, he will need help from a receiving core that led the conference and dropped passes. In fact, Arizona State did not have a single 100-yard receiving performance in any game last year, and for the style that they run, that's not good. On defense, Arizona State is very bend but don't break with the conference's fourth best red zone defense. If this team gets clicking on offense, we could see a team that can score and play enough defense to pull off this nine-win mark. Next, we're going to fall off a little bit of a cliff here. I think there's a division... Right between the teams that we just spoke about, these nine 10 win teams, to, to the next tier of teams. And we're going to be talking Stanford with six wins, okay? Six wins. And uh oh, oh shit, here she comes. Here it is. Here is Karen, especially this Karen with her Ivy League education and liberal arts entitlement. Remember, going forward, we are labeling teams that play the spoiler roles as the Karen. A real nice lady, if you know what I'm saying. That is going to ruin your day completely when she organizes the homeowners association and comes after you for your gaudy lawn decorations, all right, just a real bitch, okay? And I think that this team could be the Karen. Despite getting throttled week one against Oregon and losing to Colorado, After a quick reset, the Cardinal went on to win four straight, including a big upset of Washington in Seattle. David Shaw is a good football coach who knows how to win in Palo Alto. Now, last year was so strange for Stanford fans, I'm sure, at least from a stats perspective. Since when is Stanford second in the the conference in passing offense, but ninth in rushing offense? and 11 in rushing defense but top 5 in passing defense. I mean, what's going on here? This is not normal. So, I expect this Stanford team to get back to some basics in a more normal 2021. Their schedule is a mixed bag. St- uh, you know, Stan uh, let, let me see here. Yeah, non-conference is friendly. I think they host Kansas State on September the 4th. And they take a trip to Vanderbilt on September 18th, which both of those games I think are very winnable for this squad. I think Kansas State could be a little bit of a toss-up. I don't know. But I think both of those games are very, very friendly as far as non-con draws go. But sandwiched in between those contests is a trip to USC, right, on 9-11. So October also sucks for these guys, with Oregon a trip to Arizona State and Washington on the docket. And speaking of... Washington, that game takes place, by the way, I just, I just want to point this out for a second. It takes place on that freaky Halloween weekend where weird stuff happens historically. That October 30th mark, a lot of weird upsets, a lot of funny, just crazy stuff happens historically around that time of year. Right? Look out for the Cardinal to possibly become the Karen under the full moon and send the Huskies reeling with a loss back to Seattle. Right, I I don't know. I think that if there was gonna be like a big ah shock and awe upset that Stanford was able to pull in conference, I got my eye on that one. They're at home. It's a weird time of year that October into November trans uh, you know transition every year somebody gets clipped. So I'm looking at that one. They have the pleasure of ending the season hosting Notre Dame, who may be in playoff contention again. Uh, that's another potential spoiler that they could play maybe another karen event i doubt it though this team going bowling is about the ceiling and i'm leaning towards it because of coach shaw and his track record now some odds makers have this squad closer to four wins we're going to go out on a little bit of faith here and give them a 500 record next we go back to los angeles but this time we're talking about ucla we got six wins for these guys chip kelly in my opinion, is, is past his expiration date as a head coach. That's just, that's my opinion, right? I'm a nobody, but that, you know, that's that's what I'm thinking. He, he was revolutionary as the father of up-tempo offense. Now everybody does it in the copycat league that is football. Now, statistically, UCLA had a decent year in 2020. They had the conference's most prolific pass rush and were fourth in the conference in converting on third down on the offensive side of the ball but their red zone defense was the equivalent of wet toilet paper, and they failed to take care of the football with a minus two turnover margin. Now, UCLA returns most key players from a squad that went three and four, but suffered all four of their losses by six points or less last season, and this looks like a team that could gain some momentum, I said, some momentum, as they will probably go bowling, okay? Don't let the overzealous and often inflating media get in your head about this team. UCLA has 10 wins in the past three years, okay? 10 wins in the past three years. Six wins this year is a big jump for these guys. Some publications such as CBS Sports has them winning seven, uh, north of seven, okay? They're they're, they're thinking eight wins are better. I'm not buying that, okay? Some even suggest that they'll win against LSU on September the 4th. I'm really not buying that either. Um, so, I see the losses to LSU, Arizona State, Washington, Oregon, Utah, and USC. I think those are all practically assured. I see wins versus Hawaii, Fresno State, at Arizona, Colorado, and Cal with Stanford as a toss-up. So, six wins is what we're going with. Next, we take a trip to Cal. Six wins. I think last year, few programs were impacted by the COVID-19 restrictions as much as Wisconsin, but if you were to give me another team that was in that neighborhood, I would say that Cal was another one. They only played four games. They went one and three. I don't think you can take much away from it because of all the cancellations and postponements and the amount of time these guys spent you know, sitting on their asses. There's a nice core of super seniors returning. It's hard to imagine the offense being any worse than it was last year bill musgrave enters his second year he has a whole offseason work with those guys justin wilcox again is the defensive coordinator he'll put together a solid unit on that side of the ball and i think that they'll be competent enough to pull out six wins i can eyeball six w's they should take nevada sacramento state washington state colorado oregon state and their trip to arizona I don't see this team having the stones to pull an upset with the amount of experience returning. Uh, Who knows? Maybe. Cal, by the way, is also dead right in the middle of the conference for returning talent. So I expect this to be a team that wins the games they should, but they're also going to lose the games they should. So they will go bowling this year. I think that's the ceiling for them. Okay, we got another little cliff. We're going to drop down again and we're going to Washington state all right so we're now in the bottom tier of the Pac 12 in my opinion and we got four wins for these guys now head coach Nick Rolovich uh, has some good offensive weapons like all-purpose back Max Borgie and promising sophomore quarterback in Jaden DeLora but this is a team that is in a rebuild okay and i see them i see them handling Portland state Utah State, Arizona, and Oregon State is sort of a toss-up, I think. I think they'll lose the rest. This team has one of the least talented rosters in all of Power 5. I think it's going to take a few solid years of, of recruiting to recover from Mike Lynch, uh, Leach's departure, right? So, um, Stanford on October the 16th is Washington State's chance for a quote-unquote statement win in the conference. Um, they have a 42.5% chance of pulling that upset at home. Four wins. Don't get your hopes too high for this team. Next, we're talking Colorado. And uh, I'm going to say this before I give the win total. I, good for coach Carl Durrell in Colorado taking on a challenging schedule. Okay, I think that's how you attract kids to campus in this day and age, playing in bigger profile games against tougher opponents and in the Pac-12's case, on time slots where your games can be watched nationally, such as the neutral site action against Texas A&M on September 11th uh, at 3.30 uh, Eastern and versus Minnesota on September the 18th at 1 um, p.m. Eastern, right? These games will be seen at least, and even if they are losses, which I will believe that they, you know, a good chance that both of them are, right? it's better than beating up on some Mountain West opponent late at night for a regional crowd where no one's going to see you. Okay, now that I've praised Colorado's ambition, let's talk reality. And the reality is this schedule is going to rip them apart. Four wins is what I've got for the Buffaloes. All right, um, they'll skull drag North Colorado on September 3rd, I'm pretty sure. But then they will be promptly gutted by Texas A&M in that big neutral site game on September 11th taking place in Denver. And uh, Minnesota on September 18th is a game that I'd put slightly in their favor, mainly because they're at home, depending on how healthy they emerge from their bout with the Aggies. Um, On October 16th versus Arizona and on November the 6th versus Oregon State, which they have both those opponents at home, are the only other wins I can see. But who knows? I mean, Coach Durrell and and crew did surprise last year. They weren't even supposed to win a single solitary game. They did better than expected. But I think this is the year where they come back down to earth and have the kind of season that maybe they were supposed to have last year. And here comes the next team we're going to be talking about, which is the Oregon State Beavers, those boys in Corvallis, all the way up there in the great Pacific Northwest. We've got four wins, all right? I don't know how much chain, uh, turnover chainsaw we're going to be seeing this year with this defensive unit. A lot of concerns there. But with Tristan Gebbia back and healthy at quarterback after leading Oregon State to, to uh, wins against California and Oregon last year, the Beavers should be decent offensively. The defense, however, has been a real source of concern for years now. And they are losing their star linebacker in Hamilcar Rashed. Uh, junior and um, Nashawn Wright at the cornerback position. Now, with Southern Cal, Utah, and Arizona State all on the schedule out of the Pac-12 South, matching the program's mark of five wins from the 2019 season is a huge ask. That is a brutal cross-conference draw for these guys. And I think the four wins is mostly due to the quarterback situation that they have but if he gets hurt, to be honest, I'd be leaning towards the under on that. If he gets hurt, I could see this this team maybe managing, you know, one to two wins, you know, tops. So uh, but we're we're gonna we're gonna go out on a limb here. We're gonna give him four wins. Here comes the big stink. This is it, bottom of the conference, Arizona. Two wins. First year, coach Jed Fish inherited a real. I'm talking about a real shit bomb. She has glasses and a ponytail. She's got paint on her overalls. There's no way she wins the prom queen. All right, not this year anyway. Now, I will say that Coach Fish is well-liked in Tucson so far, and there's a good energy around the program. And uh, I think that's easy when you're not losing by 28 points at the half. Now that I've properly shitted on these guys, It's just a matter of fact that this team is just not good compared to their contemporaries. I'm not saying that these are bad kids. I'm not saying they're bad athletes. I'm sure they're wonderful young men. It's just not a good team, top to bottom. They are the second least talented team in the league. Their schedule is rough with Washington, Oregon, USC, Utah, Arizona State, BYU, and Mountain West standout San Diego State, not to mention they're doing this all in the middle of a staff changeover on the heels of the strangest and most restrictive year in college football history. Now, that being said, I could see them winning against Northern Arizona and possibly clipping San Diego State to get their two wins. Or I'm also looking at a possible upset of Cal on November the 6th at home. But again, that's a big if. I think 0-12 would also not surprise me. And there it is, folks. All the power fives are done. Good God, that was a lot of time and energy. 64 teams broken down and scrupulously analyzed. I really hope this all ages well. (laughs) I'm sure I'll be shocked by a few of these teams uh, that either overachieve or underwhelm. But my analysis and intuition has served me well, especially last year and, you know, historically. And that's why I do this now. And I'm expecting accuracy in 2021. I will put out one last installment of win totals. I'm thinking anywhere in the neighborhood of 12 to maybe 14, 16 teams. I don't know yet on the number total, but from the group of five and the independents as well. Of course, Notre Dame will be on that episode. Hey, if you've enjoyed what you've heard here today, then please do us a favor and hit that subscribe button. It won't bite, I promise. If you would be so kind, leave us a rating, five-star, I hope, and write a quick review on Apple Pods. You can also hit that follow button on Spotify. And if nothing else, just tell a few of your college football addicted buddies about our podcast. Like I said, it's available on all major podcast platforms. Football season is approaching quickly, and you're going to want to hear the best college football content around. So that's, I, mean, I think that, that's really about it, folks. You guys have a great day. Um, we are going to pick up again with another installment of the wind totals, as I said, from group of five and independence, and that will close out this series. We have some great interviews on the horizon, some really good content to talk about, especially with this whole Oklahoma and Texas migrating over to the sec, which is undoubtedly, I think the biggest news in college football in my lifetime. So we will definitely be releasing an episode on that soon. Do not miss that. And remember, Any given time, any given place, any given topic, you get it at any given you.